Welcome everyone back to the broadcast. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site on the 24-7 Sports Network. And joining me is the godfather of bro. The 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 regent? No, the, 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 the king, really. Really, that's what we're calling you. Tracy I mean, Pearson. I went from godfather to king. It's, yeah. So I, I'm conjuring up, you know, Marlon Brando first yeah, when yeah. you say that. Oh, oh, so I remind you of Marlon Brando. Yeah, yeah. Definitely like latter years, right? Oh, like, oh. like when he was out? Yeah, like, like you put, mean... putting around in the garden, squirting the little kid with the little thingy, you know? <laughs> oh, that's that's him as the actual godfather. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. I yeah. was thinking, okay. No, yeah, no, I'm I not going around. like Island of Dr. Moreau, moo-moo wearing uh, Brando. And what was the art, what was the X-rated one? Damn, I'm forgetting. Uh, uh, remember, he was in an X-rated something in Paris. Damn, what last was tango. That? Last, last tango. tango. Oh my god, he's un. That will that will scar your eyes for your entire life if you watch him in that movie. Yeah, I don't think I'm gonna do it. Yeah. Well, this is a UCLA sports podcast. Everyone, uh, you might not have gathered it from those. Uh, I don't know for 60, 70 seconds. Uh, and we're, you know what we're here to do today, Tracy? We're here to be optimistic. I'm feeling, I'm feeling optimistic about the season. And I know every year since you were just a little toddler back in your undergrad days about, is it about this time or are we a few weeks off when you start, you know, feeling really optimistic about the season? I'm, like you get a little, you I'm get kind of delusional. I'm okay, ramping up. Ramp- I'm ramping up. This I'm is- already like, you know, ESPN's FPI. I like that it has UCLA favored in nine games, but is that a little bit conservative? Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> it's con- it's conservative for nine day for Maybe. winning nine games. Maybe. Okay. You don't know. You don't know. Uh, you consider this ramping up? I uh, think you're pretty <laughs> much like flying <laughs> over the ramp. Yeah. Well, I think I, I do think they're going to surprise some people this year, and I do think they're going to be um, Dave. Dave, is that you, Dave? I, I'm just Dave? saying. I'm just saying. I think they're going to be a little bit better Dave, than, uh, than this five-win garbage that everyone's predicting for them. Um, but who's doing that? Who's predicting five wins? Uh, basically, any other analytical system besides FPI. Um, really, including Vegas. I think Vegas has them at five and a half. But how about all your little analyst guys that you love? Every single uh, one of them has them at like five wins for this year. Really? Yeah. But Ken Palm has them at five wins? Yeah. The problem with all that stuff is that um, a numbers-based system isn't going to pick up or overemphasize like an end-of-season trend the way UCLA had last year. Because what UCLA had was essentially – If you look at the season in two chunks, it had a first four games that were absolutely atrocious, almost across the board atrocious. Like watching Marlon Brando in Last Tango in Paris. Exactly. See how I tied that in? See how I tied that in? It was beautiful. And then it had eight games where only one half of everything was atrocious, and the other half was quite good. Like the offense over the last like eight games of the year was really good. The first four games were Marlon Brando and Last Tango. Then eight games, you said? Eight oh, games were like, um, what was a bad including movie Including those in. four. Including yeah. those four. No, no, the final eight games of the year. So the first four games, everything was bad. It was a catastrophe across the board. Then the final okay. eight games, the offense was good. Like legitimately good. 
the defense and special teams were still atrocious, but I think people are still missing on the trend of that offense because if you throw out those first four games, it really performed like a top 30 offense. Um, it finished the year ranked like 50th in a lot of systems, but um, it was really a top 25-ish, top 30 offense over the final eight games with Josh Kelly, with uh, Boss Tagaloa, with some improvement at the quarterback position regardless of who was in there. Um all of that, I think, made it so that, that offense, it's something you can actually hang your hat on. Um, so really, all you're looking at for this year is mostly, can the defense just get a little bit better? Um, but I think I, I think a lot of the systems, a lot of these analytic systems are missing kind of the big chunk of everything, which is that the offense was actually good. Um, it, again, if you can throw out those first four games where they truly were feeling everything out, didn't have all their personnel in place... Um, that's not too many teams out there actually can claim having one side of the ball that's as good as UCLA's offense was over those final eight games. Right. I see that. I, I absolutely get that. And, and do analytics, how do they do on, because you're the, you're more the analytics guy. What, how do they figure in just say second year in a system? Right. I mean, how do they figure in the, the overall age of the players on the team? Is does that is that taken into consideration at all? So um, second year in a system, I don't see that. I, I, I think any way that would be used, because the thing is, anything that you're going to apply, you want to apply as a broad based measure so you can apply it to everybody. And so it would be right. the second year for Chip Kelly. And well, that should, you know the same boost from that should be the second year of Herm Edwards. Um, and I, they don't. I don't think there's like a really good objective measure for doing that. That'd be really interesting to find out if there's ever a stat out there about how generally teams do in the second year under a new coach, just all coaches. You yeah. have to think the second year there's a, on average, a sizable improvement. Certainly. Right. And yeah, then, okay. um, but the, the returning production, which is basically players aging up, you know, however much production you return, which means like the accumulated tackles, the accumulated passes, the accumulated catches, the accumulated um, you know rushes and accumulated guards that you gained in all those areas, um, that is factored in. So if you okay. if you return a bunch of production, that's definitely factored in. Um, but the issue is in in total, UCLA's offensive production doesn't look that great for last year because it's got it's got that albatross of the first four games kind of hanging around its neck. Um, so you've got to kind of, you know, take all of that stuff, I think with a grain of salt. And then on the defensive side, I do think, and as we've talked about, they were flawed kind of systemically. And I do think that they need to make some adjustments, but you do have to acknowledge that, I mean, linebacker health was such a catastrophe last year. Um, and as Trip Kelly pointed out numbers, numerous times, the, the, they had a huge issue with just simple tackling. Um, you have to imagine that's going to be improved. Not hugely. I mean, I do think there was a system issue, and I don't know that this system is the kind of thing that's immediately going to jump them up to, like, top 30. But, you know, getting Javari Anderson in that rotation, getting Josh Woods back in that rotation, I, you know, the the second half of last year's Tyree Thompson playing instead of the first half of last year's Tyree Thompson playing all of that. Again, you know, this is maybe what you're kind of getting at, which is that second year jump up, but also 
probably not going to have that insane bad luck at linebacker that they had this past year. So I, I do and, think and you know what's frightening yeah. about the tackling? Sorry to interrupt, but what's is that I thought overall my overall takeaway last year is that they tackled better than they had in the last few seasons before that of Mora Zero. That's how that's how bad that is, because yeah, probably you know I was thinking about it because somebody mentioned that on the board and I my offhand thing was that it was so bad last year that it was worse than anything since like two thousand five. But I think I really did block out the final two years of Tom Bradley. You blocked those out. I think I completely there were guys like just yeah whiffing on tackles, just taking bad angles, just missing. And I, my impression last year, I remember halfway through the season, I was going. You're not seeing that many mistack as many as we had been completely used to over the last two seasons. Who was that? that? Who was that mid Durrell era safety who always took the horrible angles? Was that Ben Emanuel? Ben Emanuel. Yeah. yeah, that was my formative period of like watching a horribly tackling UCLA team, and it's so much about placement. It's not like necessarily <laughs> the form with which you tackle. It's are you getting to the right spot to even make a tackle? That who was, was who was the since we're naming guys, who was the inside linebacker defensive end? He went back and forth. Damian Holmes. Damian Holmes. That that guy, I was rooting for him the whole time, but man, he he wasn't a, a great football player. No, no, no. Yeah. What can you do? No. It's tough, yeah. to, tough to do. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> anyway, so I think we can have a consensus that it was not a good tackling football team last year, even yes. if it wasn't necessarily the worst we've ever seen. Um, but regardless, it should get better um, this year. Most And for, like, justifiable, not just like, oh, yeah, guys are going to get better reasons, but they'll have about half the – they'll have double the bodies at linebacker that they had last year. And, um, you know, noticeable improvement, especially from – Tyree Thompson over the last six games of last year that bodes well entering this season when right now tentatively we're penciling him as a starter but obviously a lot can happen in fall camp but um you know you add those you add that and you add a that whole group of depth guys I mean the defense I think is going to show better than it did in the final you know six to eight games of last season when it the wheels did kind of go out from under them so yeah, I think there's kind of a lot of missing pieces of the statistical profile from UCLA last year just because it was in such transition and, you know, strategically in transition. Like Chip Kelly, I mean, I think in retrospect, we can all acknowledge um, it wasn't given it away last year, but certainly was focused on the future. Um, right. Playing all of those freshmen, defensive linemen, um, starting at the very, I think, very vanilla on both sides of the ball and kind of building pieces on top of that throughout the year. Um, I think, you know, a lot of that early season speculation that he's going to be using this somewhat as exhibition play proved to be true. And then uh, they were a different team over the final eight games. And if they'd had a little bit more linebacker health, you know, they might've ended up four and eight, five and seven. So what's your opinion of how much, Wilton Spate figured into that last eight games and, and whether the production you can get from Dorian Thompson Robinson can at least equal the offense that you saw towards the second half of the season. So it's interesting because, um, I think that's why I asked it, Dave, all of our eye tests over the, over the final like few games of the year was that Wilton Spate was playing the position at a really high level. Right. 
Like, I think we yes. were watching watching this final, I think it was the three games, final three games of the year, and he looked great, and he was running the offense well and the whole thing. But when you look back at, like, actual, you know, the numbers look at everything, Dorian Thompson-Robinson played the best game a quarterback played last year, and that was against Washington. Um, right. And then he played another really good game the following week against Cal, and then he got hurt. But you could make a you could make a fair argument that he played maybe the two best games for a quarterback last year for UCLA. Um, now, eye test wise, did he look quite as steady as Spate did over the final three games? I'd have to say no, but eye test can lie to you. Um, and I, I I think Thompson Robinson. With the strides he made last year, um, and yeah, when he came back in from the injury, he he was not good. I think that was against Oregon, um, but he was still on balance. And somebody was dogging him pretty hard on the board this week, and I pointed out um, his like rating as a quarterback ended up for last. So his career now, which is one season, but compare it to Kevin Prince, Richard Brijo, uh, Kevin Kraft, Patrick Cowan, Ben Olson. He's better than all of them. Like, his quarterback rating is better than all these guys. And, yeah, that's that's faint praise because none of those guys were good. But keep in mind, that's, like, basically 15 years of the last, you know, 20 of UCLA quarterbacking. It's Josh right. Rosen and Brett Hundley were good, and everyone else has been bad. And Dorian Thompson-Robinson has been among the better half of that, and he was a true freshman thrust into a role where he really wasn't ready, and that was obvious from the jump. So... I guess the thing that's I'm tempered, optimistic is what I'm saying yeah, about his. I think the progress. thing is tempered optimism was was his spring practice performance because that it wasn't great it it wasn't it wasn't bad I mean you saw some some improvement just his body had gotten he's a little bigger and stronger throwing the ball more confidently but overall I mean he had just an okay spring now what everyone always tells me especially people close to this program, they're always installing so much in spring. You can't expect the offense to really be gelling. They're, they're, you know, they're learning new routes. They're learning new timing, their new progressions, everything. So you can never expect anything like a quarterback to do really well in spring. And remember, I think Josh Rosen had that one decent spring when he was about when he came in early and then had poor springs from then, not poor, but mediocre springs from then on out. No, but, but that's for, the for thing. Rosen, that's, for Rosen, he had garbage springs. Like yeah, okay, after watching okay, Rosen forever, garbage. he looked like trash in those springs after that first one. Right, and then remember, and then he so he had that. I gotta just go back. This was the this is one of the most amazing moments I think in covering this team was when first. He, he comes in for spring camp as a senior in high school. He, he has a great spring camp. And we're all, wow, he's going to be really good. And then he has a really poor fall camp. Really? Remember? I mean, oh, just yeah. didn't look good. And that, that first game where he looked all world, that first game, where uh, the first game, who was it against? I can't remember. The first game at home. Uh, Virginia? Oh, my God, that Virginia game. He was amazing. He was, was dropping. His, it was his best game as a Bruin. He it was his, his best, best game. game. <laughs> he had his best game in his first game. And everyone in the press box was, even the guys, even the, you know, of course, their media, they cover UCLA. They're going to be, you know, a little skeptical of UCLA. They were even turning to everyone and going, oh, my God, he's going to win a Heisman Trophy. He, he's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. And okay. He, anyway, and he, and he literally never had a game as good as that again. I don't think. I don't think he ever did. Even that comeback against Texas. A- no, I'm, I'm, I'm going to pull this up because all right. So his rating in that game was 192.5, which was the highest in that year. And then the next year, yep, nobody better than that in that year. And then his final year. Okay, he had two games his final year that were better. Um, Hawaii, where he went 22 of 25 for over 300 yards. Um, which that's that's like Bill Walton. Um, <laughs> that is that is Bill Walton <laughs> yeah. right there. Uh, and then Cal, he was really good too. Uh, but okay, but still, I mean, his his third best game as a Bruin came in his first game. Right, and that twenty two or twenty five, he could be just be throwing eight yard outs. I mean, he made some passes in that game where he looked like a pro. Well, and the in first, first pass game. of the game, if you remember, it was the the classic Mazzoni where he likes to take a shot right at the beginning. And it yeah. was a drop from Kenny Walker. Yeah. Like, it was It was going to be a touchdown. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, Josh Rosen. Anyway. But anyway. Uh, Josh, um, anyway, getting back to our friend Dorian Thompson-Robinson. I mean, that's the thing I think that has tempered optimism was his spring performance. So now what we're saying, though, is you have to take that with a bit of a grain of salt and project him. Given his performance last year as a true freshman, his – you have to project a little bit of growth of improvement and maturation and how he will be as a true sophomore. Yeah. And I would point out, um, cause a lot of people talked again about spate being a more heady runner last year, which again, I test wise, I thought so. But when you look at the stats and you remove sacks, uh, Thompson Robinson had 31 rushes for 206 yards for six and a half yards a carry spate had four and a half yards per carry. Um, so I, I don't know. I don't know if a lot of um, if a lot of the eye test stuff is necessarily borne out by the stats. I, I, I think he was pretty good last year on balance, and I think I, I'm I'm kind of leaning on the uh, spring practice performance is such a a hard thing to judge. I mean, uh, and going back to another example, Brett Hundley literally, literally never looked good in practice ever. He never looked good um, ever. So I just don't. It's hard to know. Um, so. I'll say he improves, um, and, you know, if he's even just as good as he was last year, which was, like, again, on balance, fine, um, I think that offense is going to roll. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. If he improves, if that offense is just as good as it was in the last several games, that's going to be a really good offense. Yeah. I mean, I, I think there's enough there to come to that conclusion when we're just purely speculating. Yeah, the defense is the thing. And to me, you're talking about linebackers, and I see that. To me, the big difference, I think, is going to be the defensive line that all you were playing Antonio Mafia, Tito Agabonia, and Tyler Manoa, three true freshmen, probably got the bulk of the minutes at those uh, interior DL positions. Yeah. Uh, maybe Osa play was right there with them. Uh, God, I, I don't have the minutes stat. In so Osa, so I'll, I'll give you the, the rundown of production. So Osa led the defensive lineman in production with 24 okay. and a half tackles, 10 run yep. stuffs, uh, three sacks. Um, Does it say, are you looking, do you have reps? How many plays he was on the no, field? No, it wouldn't give us that, uh, but production's a decent enough measure because that'll give us an idea of how many you know, how much they were actually producing even when they were on the field. Um, Tyler Manoa was behind him um, with 17 tackles. 
and two and a half run stuffs. Um, and then it's, I mean, Rick Wade, but he's gone. Um, Ugbonia and Mafi, I mean, they were mostly being pluggers last year, so it's hard to judge them on the same standard. I, right. I, I do think, yeah, yeah, I think that is going to be, I mean, obviously it's a key that we're all kind of counting on that playing all of these dudes last year, such extended time, you know, Mafi, Mafi probably uh, certainly led the interior linemen in snaps. I think Osa was playing outside a little bit um, or not outside, but he certainly led the nose tackles and snaps. Um, and Ugbonia obviously played a ton between those two aging up and Ugbonia looked great this spring physically. Mafi looked like he'd lost a good 40 or 50 pounds. Um, you, you just, that'll help sometimes. Yeah. I think, I think losing 50 pounds certainly helps. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so, and you know, I liked when I saw Manoa last year. Um, so I think there's room there, but that's one where, so for linebacker, it's easy to point to, well, they just didn't have their guys. Like so many guys got hurt. Um, it's easier to point to that one, uh, defensive line. You are just counting on improvement. Um, and yeah, you got to kind of hope that they improve, but it's hard to really know that they're going to. There were some times when those guys, like there's uh Matt Joy did a, a one gif on of uh uh Ogbanya where he just bull rushed <laughs> and it was like it was like the offensive lineman was on skates. Oh yeah. Now if you're if you're not very good, like you know, you don't have little flashes like that. You can't do that. You're just not very good. Like let's say a bogging on that whole course of the season had an okay season, but he wasn't he wasn't like a redshirt senior who was just kind of mediocre for that entire year. I mean, there were times when he flashed like some big time talent. Um, you know, I, I, those guys, I think, coming back for their true sophomore year, just being in the weightlifting program, you know, uh, I I'm. I, that just, to me, makes enough sense that I think the defensive line is going to be so much better. Yeah, and and then you got your guy, your best friend Bruce Feldman, put a couple of UCLA defensive linemen on that on his freak list, right? Yeah, for sure. And I, I mean, I, they're both. I wonder where he gets that from. Well, I mean, <laughs> I, so you so you saw me posting about that on the board today. I did. That's why I wanted. That's why I did that. I wanted you to talk about. Yeah, no, I I like Bruce, uh, but you know, he, he, Bruce is great. He's he's, gotta, he's my I think the sharpest guy who actually knows what he's talking about in in college football. Yeah, and, and, he, and he works his sources, and on this one, his source is uh, Trip Kelly, and that's that's yeah. fine. Um, yeah, but I, I with any and this is like not just for Bruce, but for anybody. Always keep in mind, like who who's who's talking to this person? Like what are they? And yeah, obviously Chip Kelly is the head coach of the team, so he knows this stuff, but. Um, you know, there's always, there's, you know, there, there's always an agenda. Everyone always has an agenda. And, and it's not in dealing with coaches long enough. Most of them aren't BSing you. They, like I've always said, coaches and players are different than you and me, Dave. You were more, we're, let's say objective, cynical, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I think, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think objective is always tough. I'll go with, okay. um, what do you want to call it? Uh, 
it's attempting to be. Um, but the thing okay. is, you can never like you know claim your own objectivity. Everyone has their own bias. Um, exactly. But it's all about acknowledging your own biases and trying to be as upfront with them as possible. Okay. I don't. Coaches and players don't live in that world at all. No. If you've ever been on a team, any kind of sports team, literally every. How how much do the players and the coaches like do some kind of reaffirming, say something reaffirming or some kind of reaffirming action, like during the course of a two hour, two hour practice? Hey, good job, man. Good this, good that. Hey, great job. I mean, literally about every eight seconds. It's, it's, it's the world you live in. You just athletes, coaches have to be optimistic. It's the one reason why a lot of ex players ultimately don't make for good coaches because they just can't retrain their brain to be objective. And within that objectivity is being able to self scout. So, so many coaches, when they talk to the media, believe what they're saying. They absolutely believe it. I I know it. They're not BSing. They believe it. And I completely believe that when Chip Kelly tells Bruce Feldman something, he absolutely believes it. He's not trying to put out a, you know, some kind of false right. narrative of how good his guys are. He, he's literally telling them that he believes this. And if you were picking a freak on this team, I would certainly pick Otito. Um, Osa, yeah. sure, he's super strong. Fine. That's, that seems fine. Um, it wasn't really knocking the picks, but, you know, just... Yeah. It's, it, yeah. Is, it is funny to me that two UCLA defensive linemen would make that list after... Of everyone in the country. <laughs> <laughs> but regardless. Why would Bruce Feldman pick those two guys yeah it's pretty funny yeah anyway but you know i'm going to agree with bruce because i think ucl i think we're going to see the most improvement from ucla's i'm going to go on a limb and say the most improvement of any unit comes from ucla's defensive line there we go i think it's possible certainly possible um so basically so if i'm if i'm putting in buckets i'm reasonably confident the offense is going to look something like what it looked like over the last eight games of the year at worst. And it might be better than that. Um, Joshua Kelly is really friggin' good. Um, that starting offensive line. And again, this is barring catastrophic injuries because that obviously throws everything through for a loop. Um, but that does it for every team every year besides Alabama. If you have a bad injury to your star guy, it's going to be tough sledding. Um, but assuming relative health, you know, no more than one bad injury on the offensive line, no more than nicks and bruises for Joshua Kelly, no more than nicks and bruises for Dorian Thompson Robinson, I think that offense is going to be like a top 25 unit this year. Defensively, Do you think Alabama's second string would win the Pac-12? Yes. Um, Alabama's third string? No. Okay. But second string almost certainly. Yeah. Um, so defensively, I think they can – they can get better. They were bad last year. Really, really bad. But I think they can be like a top 60, top 70, somewhere like that, where they're not a joke. They're not getting run over nearly as much as they did last year. And that's even acknowledging that they probably still won't have much of a pass rush. Um, even without much of a pass rush, if they simply tackle better, if the linebackers are simply a little bit more disciplined season long and that, and not have that blip, especially at the beginning of the year, um, I think the defense will improve. Um, my question is UCLA lost a lot of points and a lot of yards in that hidden area of special teams where they were so bad last year. 
um, kickoff return coverage, punt return coverage were so, so bad, despite having a pretty good kickoff guy. You know, J.J. Molson out there nailing touchbacks at about 64%, and a pretty good punter um, who was, you know, booming his kicks when he needed to, but also dropping them inside the 20 with a pretty good rate. Uh, but still, the return averages for punts was something like 18 for opposing teams, which is wow. And the uh, return average for kickoffs was 26 yards, which again, wow. Um, I think what confidence do we clear. have that this will improve? Yeah, I think it was pretty clear overall that just watching special teams, it's the coaching, the organization, it, there, there was a problem. I mean – how many weren't there at least a couple of times when uh, they got they didn't have enough men on the field for special they teams? They lined up without a kicker one time. Remember, JJ yeah. Molson was off on the sideline, and then he had to run out late. Yeah, I don't, I don't necessarily blame JJ for that because no, he, no, no, I, mean, I know I'm this not for, blaming no, Molson. I mean, that's blaming, but that's, everyone that's else, JJ has, yeah, he he wears he wears earplugs in the game, so he just tunes everything out, even though someone else should have been designated to get him, but. You could see that it was poorly organized, really, really poorly organized. Um, and I can say I think that Chip Kelly, the coaching staff, reacted to that this spring. They they did a lot of special teams work, more than they easily had last spring or in fall camp last year. Um, they kind of it's kind of it was kind of a team effort among coaches. Uh, so. I think they have to get better <laughs> because it was really bad. I mean, the special teams, it was a thing where, I mean, at times you just said, I'm, I'm just going to look away for this punt right now. And then on top of it, let's talk a little bit about the fair catching kickoffs. Mm-hmm. I mean, you have to have some kind of analytics that basically says that, I mean, obviously Chip Kelly has some analytics that says it, it pays off to fair catch a kickoff when you catch it on the three-yard line. I have to think there's some kind of data that proves that. But when you have Darnay Holmes, it doesn't make sense. <laughs> yeah, well, I think what I and what I gamed out a little bit, um, but I, I don't think there's been anything robust done, is you need to have like your cutoff point. Um, where it no longer makes sense to return it. Um, but if it's like relatively short kick, and I saw them fair catch, I think there was at least one that they fair caught at like the 12-yard line last year. Right? Mm, the most I remember was like the 8-yard line. I thought it was like the 8, but that's still, that's amazing. May, yeah, whatever it is, um, you're, yes, you're getting your guaranteed 20 every time, but you are capping the upside of a kickoff. Like you are basically saying right. the max I will ever get is 20, um, or whatever it is. What, does it put you out at the 25 now? The fair 25. catch? Yeah, 25. Uh, but the max you're ever going to get is the 25. Um, and other teams aren't governed by that. And as you can see against UCLA's kick return, they were able to average 26 on returns. Um, and uh, does the marginal gain there matter? Maybe not. Maybe it's not worth the risk of injury. Um, but... It does seem like a missed opportunity, and it seems, and I think, um, you know, even if you go beyond the statistical standpoint, where I do think like the numbers would bear out that it's a relatively, 
you know, suboptimal, not super suboptimal, but slightly suboptimal play. Um, like I'm just thinking, you know, emotional sideline stuff when you can like get a big return or even like a mild return. That's like a good 35 yarder, 40 yarder that I would think that would do a lot for a team. Um, in addition to any kind of statistical benefit that obviously breaking a bigger return than a 25 would do for your stats. So I don't know. I think there's a few reasons to try to do it. Avoidance of injury is obviously a reason not to. And, um, but it just seemed, it seemed conservative to me. Uh, to me, you know, there were a lot of times when you complained about Jim Mora's conservatism when he decided to kick a punt at UCLA's, mm-hmm. at the opposing team's 30-yard line. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but to me, I, I would really like to see the data that says over the, you know, course of the entire season, it, it pays to fair catch a kickoff at the five yard line. Um, I just think the upside of, of being of the potential of breaking one or, and or getting it out beyond the 25 has to completely outweigh that. And I think it's just a highly conservative move. Yeah. Um, and especially when, and I think Darnay Holmes might've returned four and one of them was for a touchdown. <laughs> Something like that. He did not return many. And one was for a touchdown. So I, I yeah, I would he returned. Like to see he returned that. four kickoffs all year. Four kickoffs and yeah. averaged thirty-five point eight yards and a touchdown. Yeah, I, I just I, I would like to see maybe do it in spots. And you're right, maybe within the three yard line it makes sense. But then every once in a while, keep keep them on alert, keep them on their toes, and and return one from the three. Yeah. You know, it 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 pres- it gives you an option to be surprising again. So I would take advantage of that. That, that drove me, that drove me crazy. Um, so special teams, you're right. That, I mean, there's so much upside for improvement and I just don't think it can, it can't be as bad as it was last year. I mean, that, but the thing is end of era, Jim Mora was also horrible at special teams. It's been like yeah. three or four years of horrific special teams for UCLA. So there, you know, the, the going down to the studs and rebuilding the whole thing, which is, you know, maybe part of what they were doing with their coaching stats switch over, um, as well. Um, hopefully it, it pays some dividends because they need to be a lot better in, uh, in kick return, punt return, um, coverage mainly. Um, but certainly, um, generating some yards of their own. And if you go back to Oregon with Chip Kelly, a huge part of that whole thing they had going on was great returns. Um, yeah. you know, they were generating touchdowns every year on returns. Um, and they got one last year, but it was, you know, again, and, and that's, that was the thing that was kind of really inconsistent with me with, with the season last year, even though, uh, it took a while for the offense to kick in. You could see the scheme. You could see what they were doing. Even on defense, you're a little bit more skeptical and they lost a lot of bodies and a lot of talent. But I could I could still see what they were doing, and I generally agreed with the game plans and the scheme. So you know, you give Chip Kelly credit. He said, "Well, okay, the schemes and the game plans have definitely improved, but what's what's the excuse with special teams?" Yeah. I, that that was the one that was really disappointing. Yeah, and the organizational stuff. So okay, yeah. so I think what I, where I stand is the offense should be good. 
Um, and that's not even getting better than last year, really. It's just they should be as good as they were at the end of last year as, you know. I think that's fair. I think that's really fair. Defensively, I think they'll get better simply from having linebacker health. And if there is real improvement on the defensive line, then who knows? Um, it could get pretty good. Um, special teams, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm in full wait and see. Um, yeah, because it was it's been so bad for a while now that it's hard to know, and it's a hard thing. That's a that's a really hard thing to assess in practice. Um, you know, last last fall camp, it was yo know, they're they're playing like real starters at, at special teams, and this is another area where depth kind of killed them because by the end of the year, it was a ton of walk ons playing special teams. Um, so there's there's a lot of factors that go into that, but I think even just the improvements on offense and defense that changes the complexion of how they should be projected. So let's get into this FPI thing. Shall yeah. we? So I was a little, I was pretty surprised. Um, not just at the ranking of UCLA being ranked, uh, by ESPN as number 20 preseason for its football power index, but it also projected that UCLA would be favored in nine of its games. And let's put a caveat on that because okay. um, three caveat of it. three of those are more or less coin flips. Like Cincinnati, they're fifty three point five percent favorites. Washington State, they're fifty point one percent favorites. Stanford, they're fifty four point five percent favorites. So three of weren't those you, games. Uh, weren't you? Uh, where are they coming up with the Stanford one? I mean, what so goes? Stanford, there's a lot of reason to think they could take a major step back this year. They lose everybody on offense besides quarterback and tight end. And I think one offensive lineman. Um, okay. So they could be very bad offensively and they really haven't been great defensively in several years now. Um, so there's reasonable reason to think that they could drop to like a six and six team this year. Mm, um, wow. So that could definitely happen. Um, the ones that they've predicted in here as kind of, so the, the let's just go through the wins real quick so people can kind of get a feel for what this looks like if they haven't already seen it. So FPI is predicting a win at Cincinnati. Again, a pretty marginal game, more or less a coin flip, uh, a big win against San Diego state where they're 90% favorites. Yeah. Um, don't you think that's a little, little excessive? 90%? It, does, it does feel a little bit excessive, but let's, we'll go through the formula in just a second okay. because I think there okay. is some interesting stuff in there. Um, Oklahoma, um, 38% dogs, which is actually insane, right? Because Oklahoma beat the piss out of this team last year. And for them to be, you know, just, just a little bit worse than a coin flip against that team seems bonkers. That, that should, yeah, uh, that's more like the 90% right. the other should way. be the other uh, way. Okay. Um, yeah. Washington state coin flip, uh, but UCLA slightly ahead. Arizona, 62% favorites, and that's on the road at Arizona. See, are they taking on uh, at Washington State? I know it's September they and take it's not it into that account. Cold. Yeah, they, they definitely take road into Damn. account. Um, Oregon State, 91% favorites. Uh, Stanford, 54% favorites. Arizona State, 72% favorites. Colorado, 72%? I mean, Arizona State returns like yeah. its entire offensive line, I oh, think, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, Benjamin uh, breaking a new quarterback. But, yeah, there's a lot of reason to think they'll be good. Colorado, 85%. And then uh, back-to-back losses to Utah and USC, 42% and 48% USC. So USC game, again, a coin flip, just slightly on the other end. And Utah, not a whole lot worse than that. And then beating Cal, um, 82% chance in the final se- in the final game. 
So, um, one th- so I was looking at their formula to see what in the hell and why it's different from <laughs> everything else. Um, yeah. And a big part of it is um, one, returning starters, and two, recruiting rankings, which for a couple of reasons, that's a little bit deceptive with UCLA. Um, because none of them are about on this team anymore? Yeah, since they cut so many guys that the, the recruiting rankings aren't necessarily a great reflection of what UCLA's current talent is. But I do want to note that the returning starters thing is something that a lot of these guys have gone away from in favor of returning production. Um, But UCLA does return a ton of starters. And I don't I don't know enough about the makeup of, um, you know, which one has more statistical value. I tend to trust Bill Connolly just because he like kind of explains it more than FPI really does. Um, But that might be why they're favored over Stanford because UCLA returns basically 10 starters on defense. Um, yeah. 18 guys really overall, 18 guys <laughs> overall. If you, if you count, if you count Dorian, which I guess we do. Yeah. I mean, it was Caleb Wilson, Andre James and Adarius Pickett. Cause if you think of it in terms of returning starters, this suddenly makes a little bit more sense. Like USC suffered a ton of attrition. They lost their entire secondary. I know for a fact, um, Oklahoma obviously lost quite a bit from that offense a year ago. Um, I think four or five offensive linemen, starting quarterback, um, one of their key uh, running backs, a couple of their starting receivers. So they're they're down quite a bit. Um, so I, it makes sense on, from a certain standpoint. I don't know if I buy it completely, but the thing is, for me, it might end up correct just because the other ones, because they're so focused on the actual statistical production from last year, they missed. So it might be right for the wrong reasons um, because they're so focused on the statistical production of last year, they missed the improvement um, right. and, and where the team more or less ended up offensively, especially, and why things were so bad defensively. Um, Do so, we have any kind of you know post-mortem assessment of how accurate this has been uh, has ESPN done this I don't remember this previously. I don't know if anyone checks preseason stuff that Damn, great that, um, that needs to be checked F- someone F- check F- that please FBI is pretty good like FBI okay. as far as such things go week to week it's pretty good I don't I, I've never seen any analysis of their preseason stuff and preseason stuff I mean they they freely acknowledge that it's kind of a a fool's errand um, because they have to, especially with college football, there's so much attrition every year um, that it's just, it's tough. And so you have to use things that are not necessarily applicable to that year's team to build a model. Um, But I think, I I, I do think that this is reasonable. Um, I, I don't think there's a win on here that I wouldn't, that I'd be shocked by if they beat Oklahoma, I'd be shocked. Um, But Beating Stanford, I would not be shocked. Um, I, so I, let me ask you this. Uh, UCLA is rated higher in the FBI uh, than USC, but it has them losing to USC. Because it's at USC. Because it's at USC. Yep. Okay. Yep. Um, and same thing with Utah. I think they're basically the same rank, right? UCLA yeah. is... Yeah, 22nd or something like yeah, that. Yeah, Utah's um, 22nd. UCLA's 20th. So. Hmm. Okay. I mean, just looking at it, that UCLA is the highest rated Pac-12 South team. 
so realistically, here's what I would say. This looks like the best case scenario for me. Like this looks like it would be the best case scenario, but I don't, <coughs> I don't think it's unreasonable. Like, I think you could make this argument. I don't know, like, once we get actually to the season and we're making our prediction, I'm probably not going to pick 9-3, and three, spoiler alert. Um, but this is within the bound um, of reasonable for me. I think probably my reasonable... Okay, so wheels fall off, and, you know, wheels fall off, not catastrophic injuries, but just wheels fall off. I could see them going... Mm, all right, so say they lost to Cincinnati... I think they would pull still one out of non-conference, but lost to Cincinnati, lost to Oklahoma, lost to Washington State, um, lose to Stanford, lose to Utah, lose to USC, um, and then drop one more of the home ones. I could see them going five and seven, but I do think that might be the floor. So the games to me, I mean, Cincinnati is an absolute key. To me, uh, it's to it being a good season, like a really yes. good season. I think Cincinnati has to be a win. Yes, and then also coming off three and nine, and then to start off this season with a loss, even if they end up, you know, seven and five, there's still going to be a stigma they're going to have to overcome until the, just getting over that first loss and that first. That just that first signal and indication of what kind of team this is going to be that it loses. And most perception, you know, out there from fans is that they don't know that Cincinnati's any good and you lost to Cincinnati. So that's so key to, and then also just within the program, you know, internally, how, how they feel about themselves. That I, I can say right now, I, I can safely say there is a real sense of urgency among the team and the coaches that. And a feeling that a real feeling of confidence that they're going to be very good. So if they lost to Cincinnati, that could take that away, and that could be really, I think, potentially very tough to then bounce back from. But yeah. the games to me are Washington State, Arizona, and Oregon. Uh, well, I'm sorry, Washington State, Arizona, and Stanford, um, because like the FBI has UCLA winning those. Yeah. And I I could see them losing all three of those. Sorry, yeah. I know this and, is and, the and, optimism. And podcast, I do want to make one note. Um, so this is obviously because these are percentages. Uh, the way to yeah. look at this is not that they're going to go nine and three or that FBI is predicting that. What exactly. it's actually predicting I, in aggregate is something like seven point eight wins um, because they right. are saying, yeah, if you have a fifty percent chance and a fifty percent chance and a fifty percent chance, you're going to lose one and a half of those games. Um, right. That if you have it 52%, what they're saying is if they played the game 100 times, this team would win 52 exactly. times. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so I, the way I would look at it is kind of in chunks, and I would do, be doing kind of the same thing. So those first five games, like look at those. You've got Cincinnati coin flip, Washington State coin flipped, San Diego State and Arizona games where they should be favored, and Oklahoma games where they should be uh, dog. Going three and two in that stretch would make me feel pretty good about the rest of the season. Because at that yeah. point, I would say, okay, you've got a win against Oregon State after that. Probably feeling good about a back-to-back -back win against Arizona State and Colorado and feeling pretty good about a win against Cal. So 
you add four wins on top of that three and two, you're already at seven and five without even considering the possibility that they could beat Stanford on the road, Utah on the road, or USC on the road. Um, you're basically saying they're winning three or four among Cincinnati, San Diego State, Washington State, and, and that's Arizona. the trick. And that's why Cincinnati's yeah. key because then, so San Diego State they should win that game. Like I, mean, I know San Diego State has been dangerous in the past, but they weren't great last year. They shouldn't be great this year. Um, you would think UCLA would feel pretty good about that game. So it's really, can you take a road game? Can you take one of Washington State and Arizona? Um, in addition, and again, going back to our initial point, you've got to, I think you've got to beat Cincinnati for this to be a good year. Yeah, I agree. And you're going to that game, aren't you, Dave? I am, I am driving to that game. How far is that? It's not far. Five, six, it's, seven. No, it's, it's like driving to the Bay Area from LA. It's so weird how, how, so it's like, five hours. It's so weird how distance works here. Uh, no, it's like six. So, you know, a little bit further than okay. the Bay Area. But you speed. I've seen you drive. I do. I do. Yeah. Um, yeah, but like Kentucky and uh, and uh, well, actually Ohio and uh, and Atlanta, super close together. Really? Who knew? Who knew? It's because you're a West Coast guy, and everything is so damn spread out. Everything We're is just, far apart. It's the big Wild West. Everything is so far apart. Yeah. When back down the East Coast, just like in one day, you can just hop from Washington D.C. to New York to Baltimore. It's no great. Problem. It's great. Yeah. 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 Remember when we were coming back from the Stanford game and there was a lot of traffic and we decided to use Waze? Yeah. And it sent us up into some foothills of Santa Barbara? Yeah, and we thought we were going to uh, just end up living there the rest of our days, I think. I mean, we were along like roads that like were barely a trail where yeah. it was sending. Yeah, that was beautiful. I, I still remember that. That yeah. was that is just that was like <laughs> it was so absurd. Dave. We're up there just going. <laughs> we're never getting home. We're in some weird twilight zone, and we're the road's going to end, and we're going to die. The yeah. one hundred and one around Santa Barbara on a Sunday is maybe the worst experience in the entire world. Yeah, yeah, that's it's not, and there's a lot of reasons for that. And let's not get into it because this is a UCLA sports yeah. podcast. Yeah. It is. It is. Um, it is. Okay. So, so you're not going to spoiler alert. You're not doing nine and three. I'm not doing nine and three. Um, where I'm netting out is probably I'm going to go conservative and go seven and five. Um, yeah. More or less, cut the baby down the middle. Um, Oof. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Tough that's one. Not good, that's not a good metaphor. <laughs> Tough one. Um, At all. Yeah, I think. I, I, Depending again, depending on what we hear in fall camp, that's like a tentative seven and five. I, I don't know if I would predict over that. Um, just on the in the interest of like you know, not going too high in the sky. Um, but if you know guys get hurt in fall camp, that might tamp it down a little bit. But right now, I would feel pretty good about predicting seven and five for this year. Um, so let's go a little further then. Uh, like with sure. that article I wrote, why you should be optimistic. About UCLA, they go seven and five this year. They have something to sell. They have improvement. I mm -hmm. mean, they went they went from three and nine to seven and five. Recruiting improves. I mean, just from the mere standpoint that they're showing improvement, they are going to recruit better. I'm not saying they're going to be a top twenty class, but they are going to recruit better. And then, as we said, the 2020 season is lined up for it and 
You could conceivably, we will, I, I think there's a very good chance we look back in 2020, late 2020, early 2021 and said, wow, that turnaround really took three years and that was it. And we thought at, <laughs> at the beginning of 2018 season, this turnaround was going to take the rest of our lifetimes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I, there, that, that window is still there, but it does, it, obviously it does require a good year this year. Um, but if you keep that window in mind, nobody's graduating this year. Like, really, they have to replace linebacker. Um, Josh, Joshua Kelly. Joshua Kelly, they have to replace. Um, and even though Joshua Kelly, it's, I've got this discordant thing in my brain because I'm taught to think that running backs more or less don't matter and they're interchangeable. And I also hold in my brain the idea that Josh Kelly was like basically the entire reason the team was decent like over the last eight games. And I, I you know, it's, it's like this fighting thing in my brain. But, um, you know, it, it, running back, I would say they've actually pulled in some guys who were pretty, you know, pretty high on. Um, I, I, I completely agree with you. And, you know, I'm the biggest Joshua Kelly fan because it only, you know, just reaffirms how great we were in seeing how good. Yeah, how good he was early on. But I, I really do believe that if you have a solid running back, but you have a great running scheme and a, a decent offensive line, you can plug in just a solid running back and you will have a good running attack. Well, one, one guy I would point to is even, um, and it's like an example of, you know, kind of slightly above average, but Chris Marquis. And that was not a great running scheme. It was just kind of a good one. And he started and was fine, like completely fine. And I think a lot of these guys in the depth chart are better than Chris Marquis ever was. Um, and it, it's a better scheme than whatever Tom Cable was running at that time. So um, I, I, I wouldn't, I, that wouldn't be a reason for me to think that like you have to take the ceiling off of that year. But you'll have a junior in Dorian Thompson-Robinson. You return basically everyone on the offensive line besides Boss Tagaloa. Um, you return most of the receiving core besides Theo Howard and Devin Asiasi, or I think Devin Asiasi actually be back. Yeah, he's Redshirt Junior. Um, yep. And you return everyone on the defensive line. Um, the big thing and the big question to answer is linebacker. Are they going to be right. able to replace all these inside guys? And uh, you know that's something that hasn't. You know we don't still don't. Uh, know. A key, a key here. Like I think I've written or I'm going to write. I can't remember. I'm stuck in a time warp of trying to remember what I've already written, what has been published and what hasn't. But Bo Calvert is going to be key. Bo Calvert is probably the most talented linebacker at inside linebacker right now that they have on the team. He's just going to be a sophomore. So he has a long way to go in his development, but is probably the most talented and he will be the starter in 2020. Um, so he is a key to watch this season for what kind of continuity they have at, at inside linebacker. I'm not that worried. I mean, of course you'd like to get more production and pass rush from your outside linebackers, but Adua Isabor, Elijah Wade, those, those guys are coming. Those guys will be coming back. Yeah. Uh, Lenny Toaloa, who's a solid guy. I mean, those guys are all coming back. So you do lose Darnay Holmes, but I, I feel maybe, good about you. Maybe do maybe I don't you think? I mean, yes, but you okay. only maybe, only maybe, only maybe. Um, but I have confidence in that secondary. 
no worries. Of, I have absolutely no, no worries. worries about the secondary, especially the first uh, meet for all of his <laughs> sometimes faults. Recruited well at the end of his tenure um, and pulled in some dudes. And then I, I think Paul Rhodes is a really good coach. Do you think Meat ever looks at – we're talking about Demetrius Martin, the former uh, defensive back coach at UCLA under Mora. Do you, do you think he ever looks at so many things, UCLA, you know, paraphernalia, UCLA brochures, and people are doing fours up, and he's just going, I thought of that. <laughs> do I not get credit for this? I mean – I think I brought that up before, but man, I, it just keep resonating in my mind that meat should be going. I sh- damn, I should have, I should have got a copyright for that and been making money off of it or I something. Know, I know. Yeah. Poor me. Yeah. Um, and and he, he was the one who really did boom too. Remember? Yeah. He was the big boom guy. Yep. Meat should start like a marketing company or something. He's really good at it. Yeah. I mean, He's he did good. do, he did do some apparel stuff. Oh uh, my God. He yeah. did. Everyone wanted to buy that hat that he had designed. Yeah. yeah. No. Yeah, um, it's got some to fall back. <laughs> and then the other thing is, um, they lose basically all of their uh, specialist starters, so that'll be yes. something to consider. Yes. Um, but then something to also consider, uh, and I, I mean, I'm not necessarily supposed to talk about it in detail, but UCLA will be able to get grad transfers in a a lot easier than it yes. has. Yes. So, according to a story that you never published. It disappeared. <laughs> it's amazing how those things just... I don't think it was ever written. I think you're imagining it. I, I imagined it whole cloth. Yeah. So that should help. Also, if they go 7-5, and five, there are some players who are thinking, wow, they're on the upswing. And you know that next season, 2020, could be big. I could go there one year and really have a big impact. I don't know. I, I, I'm tending to be optimistic here. I don't know if I'm just – if in a couple of months people are going to like hunt us down and kill us for this, which is always <laughs> – I would – I don't – I would even temper what I'm – like I, I, I do feel some optimism because I generally get, um, you know – I like the way stupid, you do that. You stupid just, this time you of just, year? Yeah, that's what you attribute it to. Yeah, it's yeah. just – it's just your stupidity at this time of year. So everyone should just let that go. So well, I want so a little. Like, I want a little bit of that. I've Can got like a that? good. I've got like a good base level of stupidity in my brain, and I try to let it out. As like, we all do. I try to let it out in like a really extensive way in the lead up to football season. Um, so it lets me get really dumb. But you've um, been really good at establishing. Like you, would, this would be a good kind of lawyer thing to do that you have established a whole precedent that you've done this and I've only yeah, yeah. reinforced it. So now everyone lets you off the hook for your, your, you know, your brain fart of optimism at the beginning of the season. I've, I've, I've established a pattern of behavior. Yes. Um, wow. so it's really smart. Yeah, I gotta do that. Too. Basically what I would say in, you know, not embracing the full stupid side of my brain, but I would say what we have presented here is the window. Like this is the window that the program is still very much it's still very much a possibility for it to walk through um now was this the necessary window who knows and we'll probably be debating that for the next you know uh 50 years you're you're gonna still be around then right (laughs) 
Are you? That's just a blip, man. I'm gonna. I'll be spry. You'll just. You'll be. You'll be doing sprints. Um. Right. So 50 years, we'll be talking about whether it needed to go this way exactly. Um. But there's still like the absolute window, like you just said, where two years from now we'll be like, well, why were we even? What were we even worried about? What the hell? They're doing fine. I really do believe that's going to happen. <laughs> See, I'm stopping short of that. I'm saying this is certainly a possibility. I think the 7-5 and five is a completely manageable goal. I think it's totally possible for them to recruit better off of that. But it's a lot of like, again, let's talk about aggregates. That's a lot of like 70% chances that are adding up for me. And in aggregate, they're not going to win on all of those things. Um <laughs> So this is where I see this eventual like we're 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 painting even if it's just a window. We're still painting kind of a rosy scenario and where I see it never really completely satisfying all of our bro users is even if Chip Kelly does this within 3 or 4 whenever he turns this around he's still just not going to recruit a, like a top 10 class. But here's my thing Tracy, <laughs> I want to go back to thinking that it doesn't matter. Because if you remember, my longstanding thing... Dave, do you remember what, what pays our bills? I know, you, and, and I, I know you say that every time, but my longstanding thing is that coaching is the most important thing. Recruiting Chip, is the most important thing, Chip, Dave. And Chip Kelly really is testing that for me. It's making me have to care about more recruiting at a level which I don't really want to because it's been so bad. I, I see what you did for, there. I so appreciate it. I Thank would, you. I would love it for him to do so well this year, like go nine and three that I can say, wow, my longstanding theory was always true. And I've been dumb for two years. It doesn't matter. Full on go chip. I'd love for that to be the case. That would be but fantastic. can't you just see it in a couple of years where he's turned it around. He won nine, 10 games in 2020. And, and you could just see chip Kelly kind of, not caring that much about recruiting <laughs> at yeah. that point. Yeah. Yeah. I could completely see that. It'd be 100%. Yeah. yeah. I, because I do, even though I get the, the measurables, the analytics, the projection, I get all of that. I still think there's an element here that this staff is trying to avoid excessive amounts of effort in recruiting. And you can interpret that any way you want. That means divas, of course. It also means I think they feel, for the most part, that uh, they could put a lot of time into chasing after guys they're not going to get before the season, or they can wait until this, you know, high school season plays out and they find a guy who's just as good as the guy they would have wasted a lot of time, money, and plane flights on. Yeah. I think there is that real, just absolute realization that that's what they do. They're that's part of their game plan, so I think that could just get worse with a 10 win season. Uh, yeah, <sighs> yeah, but hey, we would be arguing, we'd be nitpicking a program that won 10 games. I would love to get back to nitpicking, that would be good. I would too. It was kind of fun nitpicking Noel Mazzoni's offense this first couple of years, yeah, that was great. <laughs> and then Noel still, Noel yeah. still hates us. Uh, he was a sweet. Those are the days. Those were the days. All right. Well, I don't have anything else. Do you have anything else? I have so much more, but I'm not willing to share it. No. We went longer on that than I was expecting. 
was great. Oh, good. Yeah. Good. How we did. Okay. Yeah. Everyone should be really, really happy. And I just want to say there, uh, you should all be excited. We have a lot of new things coming to bro for the fall. We have new, more and new contributors, more content that will just get you so excited. Uh, possibly a new podcast out there too. Just a lot of, a lot of new things going on. So you should all be excited and you know, that bro keeps expanding and giving you a better product year after year. Beautiful. Is that good? I don't do sales. That was a great sales well. pitch. People oh, are excited okay, yeah. now. They're pumped. They're ready to go. Everyone's ready Woo-hoo. to go for the season. And we only have, uh, you know, like 50 days left. Until the season. Correct. The season. But, you know, fall camp will start probably, I'd say, but July 31st or August 1, something like that. I'd say probably August August 1st. Yeah. Let's just speculate about that and say August 1st. August yeah. 1st. All right. Well, uh, get excited for that. Get excited for the season. Get excited for, you know, something we're thinking just, might be a 7-5 and five to 9-3 and three season. Do just it. generally get excited. Get life. excited. We like excited people out there. All right. Well, for Tracy Pearson, I'm David Woods, Bruin Report Online, UCLA site on the 24-7 Sports Network. Thank you for sticking with us through the offseason, and we'll talk to you again next time. Thank you, everybody.